You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. We're going to get into God's Word. So if you have a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. We're going to cover seven verses tonight. I won't talk hopefully as long, but I do have some time to share what God's put on my heart. As we've been having a great series in Exodus. It's an Old Testament book, the second book of the Bible, uh, written by a guy named Moses and about Moses and the people of God. And, and the series we're sort of focusing on and thinking through is how God redeems, how God redeems. And I just must say, man, it has been, it's been special. It's the first time I thought through the book of the Bible, but I feel like the last few months in our Sunday night worship, I don't know if you have felt that or have discerned that, but God has been meeting us in really special ways. Through his word, through worship, through prayer, uh, just how he's moving in our midst. And I could just tell, I just want to thank you guys. You guys, your prayers and your faith is important and it's making an impact. It's making an impact even how I'm sharing the word of God to how people are receiving it in their hearts. And um, God is honoring our faith as we come together every Sunday night to just study his word, to learn more about him, to have long, dedicated time and a rhythm in our lives to just worship him through his word. You know, the Bible says we can worship as we sing songs, as we meditate on his word, and as we even study with our minds. There are multiple ways to worship. That's why we say we, we worship when we give our tithes and offerings, when we're sharing the gospel, when we're loving one another. There are multiple ways to worship. And um, man, it's just been so great uh, being able to study this book and to receive from the Lord. And this book is not like a three steps to a happier, better life. This is not what this book is about. Uh, it's actually dealing with a lot of hard stuff, a lot of topics. It's dealing with slavery, with pain, with suffering, um, with weakness, particularly humanity's weakness, our weakness. And in this section of the book, it's this another section of hardship or uh, pain or dryness. I would say it's called, the Bible says, wilderness. And you may have been in a wilderness season, a, a desert season, where, where it's hard. And the Bible gives us this picture and calls a season of wilderness or a section of wilderness sort of this picture of a dark night of the soul where we, at times, as God's people, will go through hardship. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. And what do we do? Where do we cling? Where do we find our hope? How do we get hope in those hard times, in those dry seasons? And yet, as we're studying God's word and we're in this section of scripture, God is being faithful to his word and he's encouraging us. He's getting us, giving us hope in his word as his people to give us, bring us hope as we look to him. God promises to meet us in every season. Wilderness season, hard season, fruitful seasons, ups, downs, when we're young, when we're old. He is a God that meets everyone, everywhere, and wants to be found. And he loves us and cares for us. He's not cruel, he's kind. You know, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29 would be sort of a good summation of this section of wilderness, of seasons, of hardship Paul the Apostle said, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those, when we, uh, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God uses different experiences of everyday life, difficulties in our midst. People 
he loves his children to actually mature us, to grow us, to strengthen us. And we have to understand his end goal, his purpose, our sanctification, our maturity is to be like Jesus, to lift up Jesus, to bring him glory. And that's going to experience, that's going to be our experience of both highs and lows. And tonight we're going to see that they're going to question, the people of God are going to question, was God even with me in this time? And maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there right now. And the Lord has you here to be reminded once again. We might not always know the why when things happen. Most of the time, we don't know the why. But God wants to remind you that you can know who's in charge. He wants to remind you of his love. And we're seeing this truth play out in this section of the book where Israel is being tested by God because he's allowing these hard things to come to their life so they could respond by faith, mature, be sanctified, and ultimately worship him. Now, there's been three consecutive tests that these people have gone through consecutively sort of in this sort of section of Exodus. The first test was Exodus chapter 15. It was bitter water that they came about and God made that bitter water sweet and he worked in a miraculous way to show his power, to display his goodness, his kindness. The next chapter, Act chapter 16, was bread from heaven where this amazing story in scripture, manna came down. What is it? I don't know. It's bread from heaven, this breadly heaven from the angels that God provided for his people. And he gave them a Sabbath rest, and it's reminding us that Jesus is our rest, that he's a God of provision, that he cares for us, and we can go to him in our need. Tonight, the test will be water from a rock. They're going to go and experience another situation where they need God. And let me just remind you, if you're in a situation where you need God, that's okay. That's actually probably a better place and a place we need to be in as believers in Jesus, being dependent on him over and over and over again. And so he leads us to those situations and he leads his people. And so we're learning that even in the hardship of life, our wilderness moments, God works and we can trust him. I was reading this week a quote from Warren Wiersbe. He said this, life's journey involves much more than merely reaching a destination. If we aren't growing in faith, in knowledge of God, and in godly character, we are wasting opportunities. I know that we want to just get there. Listen, the people of God are going to get to the promised land. God made the promise if he said it's going to happen. We will meet Jesus face to face in heaven. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. When we die, we are with Christ. But what about the opportunities now? To know God in intimate ways. To have faith. To be strengthened. Let's not waste this life. Let's not waste the things he has before us, the gifts, the talents, the treasures, the things that he's given us. And I pray that no matter what season you're in, you're not wasting the opportunity God has on your life. You have gifts. You have talents. They may look a little weird. They may require you to put on some white gloves. I don't know. But God knows. And you're a part of the body. And you can honor God by your faith, by trusting him, by worshiping him. I hope you're encouraged in that. And so that's where we find ourselves when we read Exodus chapter 17. What we always do is read the scripture, pray, and allow the Holy Spirit to move as we meditate, study, and contemplate God's word and worship in that way. I'm calling this message Water from a Rock. Water from a Rock. So let's read this together. I'll read. You can listen and hear me butcher some Hebrew names. And then we'll pray and ask the Lord to continue to minister to us. Verse 1, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved from the wilderness of sin by stages 
So now they're moving from this wilderness to go somewhere else. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But, oh, I think I skipped a line. But that's okay. They camped in uh, Refin, uh, but there was no water for the people to drink. Then they quarreled. Verse 3. See, this is why you need to read your Bible, because I just totally skipped a line, man. Man, every dot, comma, period. It's good. It's part of God's word. We need to have this stuff, all right? Verse 3. But the people thirst there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses. This isn't a repeat. This is another event where they're doing this. And they said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with, you, with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb. Remember, that's where the Lord met Moses the first time, the burning bush. And you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? I think as we pray and as we study, God's gonna open our eyes and encourage us through his word. So let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, that we can come to your word and you wanna speak, Spirit. Holy Spirit, we invite you in this place. Have our ears to be open, our eyes to see. We want you to be magnified, Jesus. And we pray in this moment, God, that you would illuminate our eyes, that you would give us ears to hear, hands even to do what you've called us to do as we study your word. And so speak through me. Thank you, God, so much for your, how you're moving. And I just pray that you would continue to move in a special way in people's hearts even now as we worship and study your word together. And we ask this in your powerful and precious name, Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen. Well, hey, I got a simple outline tonight. Ronnie, are we recording? Okay, just want to make sure. Shout out to all my podcast people. I know that you're listening. It's been awesome to hear comments and uh, to get feedback. And I've uh, been really praying that God would continue to minister to you. Two simple statements. After each statement, feel free to say amen. It's almost a sentence. This is our outline for tonight. Two points. Very simple. Life is a mess. Can I get an amen? amen. Life is a mess. It's crazy. It's just, I cannot believe as we study this, you're going to see this happen again. This is nuts. Point number two, continue with the sentence, but God. God works in the mess. Life is a mess, but God works in the mess. This is exactly what we're seeing in this text once again. The reality is of what we face today are the realities of the same people of God face here. Different context, different time. But we're going to see how God actually interacts with the mess of people. 
They're grumbling, they're complaining again, and once again, God is going to provide, express who he is, his character, and provide for them. Well, let's all study the mess first. Something you're probably familiar with, verses one through four. Life is a mess. We see again that the people didn't respond in a healthy, fruitful, good, godly way to the circumstance. Verse one tells us that God led them out from the wilderness of sin to Rephidim, right? But the problem was in the Rephidim, there was no water to drink. They were needing this as human beings. They were thirsty. It was hot. They needed water. And so they looked at the hard circumstance and they complained. Now we recognize all of us go through hard circumstances. Um, But these are God's people. Now let me just state a simple statement It's very interesting that a lot of people don't actually think about this, but this is a very true principle that we could learn just right from the get-go. Bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to godly people. You realize that, right? They were following the Lord once again, and a trial came once again. They were in the will of God in hardship. Following God and being a Christian does not exclude you from hardship, from suffering, or pain because we live in a broken world. Rather, the Bible actually tells us and teaches us that we should expect trials and difficulties of all times, 1 Peter 4.12. Don't be surprised when you deal with this stuff. Jesus actually promised his disciples they'll go through persecution, hardship, John 15.20, John 16.33. But be of good cheer for God is with you. Those are the promises that we know and we're seeing it play out. And they're questioning, is God with us? They're looking to a circumstance and not to the Savior. It's possible to be in the will of God and yet in a season of great pain, great problems, great suffering because this life is a mess. It's broken. It's full of sin. It's not an easy thing to understand or to even to embrace at times, but we have to understand this principle. This is not the way it's supposed to be. This is Exodus, not Genesis in the Garden of Eden. We have a sin nature. We rebelled against God, and there's consequences for that. And now the Israelites were clearly loved by God and yet led again into a place of hardship. Why? Well, we've been studying it. It's to trust God even more, to trust God even more. God was patient in giving them another opportunity to trust him. Remember that opportunity of the Sabbath rest to trust him? And they still broke that. So he's like, okay, we're just gonna repeat this lesson over and over and over again because I'm a patient God. But isn't that a lame thing when you have to make a mistake over and over and over and over again to learn? God's allowing this to happen so that they can learn. Another quote from Warren Wiersbe. Every difficult Uh, Every difficulty God permits us to encounter uh, will, encounter will either be a test that can make us better or a temptation that can make us worse. And it is our attitude that determines which it will be. Every difficulty that God permits in our lives and we encounter will either be a test for us to make us better or a temptation to make us worse. And it's our attitude, our focus that determines what this will be. So let me just ask you this question straight up. How are you doing in your suffering? How's it going in the mess? Are you just pretending like it's not there? What's your attitude? What's your focus? What are you looking on? 
It's crazy to me when I look at people that followed Jesus in the day had such a different perspective than me. I, I'm like the Israelites. You may uh, be like them too. I'm a grumbler. I'm a complainer. I, I, I hate the circumstances. But then I read like the apostle Peter who followed with Jesus, saw his death, his resurrection, and walked with him. And then he would teach us. He would say in 1 Peter 4.13, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. You know, it takes a lot of faith to rejoice when you're going through a hard time, when you're going through the mess of things. And one thing I see in this story is the possibility of rejoicing. There's hope in here. Because we see not only the people of God's response, the Israelites grumbling, the crowd, but we also see the one. We see Moses, the leader. Now, one commentary, I like what he said. One of Moses' most characteristics and praiseworthy traits was that he took his difficulties to the Lord. That's his secret. That's his mojo, his sauce, his, his formula. He went through a lot of hardship. Was, was Moses in need of water as well? Yes, he was human. Didn't matter his status or his position or how much wealth he had. He needed the same provision that these people needed, but it wasn't his, his strength that got him through. It was his desperation and going to the Lord that got him through. And it was an opportunity to trust God. This is what God wants us to do in hardship. So he's letting us see there are ways that we could respond differently in hardship, in pain, in difficulty. And he wants us to trust him. Peter would go on in chapter five of 1 Peter, and he would say, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at proper time he may exalt you, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. I feel like I missed a line because I memorized that verse. Boom. Maybe not. Maybe it was the verse before you. Poses the problem, gives grace to the humble, and then it goes in there. But the idea is when we humble ourselves before God, it says he is a mighty hand, he's powerful. In the proper time, he's going to act and he's going to move. We can cast our cares upon him knowing that he'll move on our behalf and give us grace, but we have to be humble to go to him. Humility, it's a great attitude to adopt in your life. You know, it was Satan that had pride and fell from heaven. But humility, Christ proactively came from heaven to earth to be in our mess, to save, to bring life. God loves us enough to lead us to hardships, to places of wilderness, so that we will learn dependence on him because he knows that's how we'll mature and how we'll receive grace. And so here's the crazy thing. Once again, it's sort of comical. I said we didn't repeat this text. The people of God, what do they do? They complain and grumble again. Like again. Like almost the exact same language as the chapter before and the chapter before and a couple of chapters back and a couple of chapters back. Like it's over and over and over. They complain so much that Moses, he calls this place in verse 7, Masa, which means testing, and Mirabah, which means quarreling. It's their legacy. You know, when you respond to faith and how you respond in this life, you'll give a legacy to other people to follow. Your kids are going to follow your behavior, your grandchildren. What do you want to leave them? 
one that trusts the Lord or one that doesn't trust the Lord. The fruit of not trusting the Lord is this complaining, this quarreling. Instead of looking to God in the problem, they complained against Moses and reminds us that life is messy, not just out there, but life is messy in here. Life is, is messy with us. We don't get it right. We have to learn our mistakes. We rebel against God. You know, the Bible says all have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. There is no one good, not one. And we could be so quick to judge the Israelites in these shortcomings, but let us not forget that we are to trust God. We aren't always full of faith ourselves. God help us. Again, Warren Wiersbe, he said that same quote, every difficulty God permits us to encounter will become either a test that will make us better or a temptation that will make us worse. It is our attitude that determines which it will be. We need to look at this story and pray for faith and ask God for a good attitude through trials, through suffering, through pain, through sorrow. And we need to learn from the Israelites' mistakes as we see they take their focus off the Lord and his greatness and his goodness. Now, I told you this Exodus story is repeated over and over again in Scripture. A lot in Psalms it's repeated. In Psalm 106, verse 13, it gives some more commentary, some insight on this story. And in verse 13, it talks about this situation of the people. It said, they, speaking of these people, the Israelites, they forgot God's works. The reason they complained, we need to connect the dots. They forgot his works and they did not wait for his counsel. The fruit of that mess is found in verses two and three when it says, therefore, the people quarreled with Moses. Why? Because they forgot the goodness of God, the timing of God, trusting in his will. Moses said to them, why do you test the Lord? The people were complaining about Moses, but he knew it was a heart situation that they were actually going to God and complaining and questioning his will. And this will be our fruit when we don't look to Jesus as well. It's just gonna be our fruit. When we look on the circumstances, when we don't receive God's counsel and wait upon the Lord to renew our strength and his timing and his way, we're gonna complain, we're gonna quarrel, and it's gonna be a mess. And it will actually hurt our relationship, even not just with God, but with other people. We won't forgive. We'll live in bitterness. We'll live in hardship. We'll be angry. We'll be upset. You know, Corey Tinboon, she said that don't bother to give God instructions. Just report for duty. And this is what their problem is. They're trying to be God, giving, having God, you need to do this, you need to do that. We just need to report for duty. We just need to trust him. So often, or too often, we get mad when things don't go our way. So we complain, we grumble. And this is why the word tells us to worship God in the mess, in this life, in the disappointments, in the hardships, to look to him and not within ourselves, thinking that we could just make things better because as we do that, it actually brings forth destruction. Things of the flesh are destruction, of death. And the Bible exhorts us now to put our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now there's another Psalm. You may know this Psalm, Psalm 95. This is actually a song as well, modern song. Come, let us worship and bow down. 
Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. You know that song? That's what the text says. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hands. But did you know the rest of the story is about the story we're studying in Exodus? The passage goes on and says, so today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as of Mirabah, this place where they quarreled, or as the day of Massa, where they tested the Lord. In the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put to the proof, though they had seen my work. They had seen the work of God. They just weren't focused on the work of God. You have breath in your lungs. You've seen the grace and work of God. But are you focused on him? And so as a people, we should learn from these mistakes that these people made. Three things we could learn. One, they demanded God's provision. They demanded. They were entitled. Verse two says, they said, give us water to drink. God, you owe us. Give us water. You know, we can do this when we demand God to work in our own terms, in our own timing. God, give us this. Didn't we follow you? Didn't you do that? No, the Bible says we're to be patient, to wait on the Lord, to do his will. We need to learn that God will provide in his way, in his time. The second thing that we can learn from is they not only demanded God's provision, but they questioned his protection. Did you notice that? In verse three, they said, well, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us? and our children, and our livestock with thirst. You know that's cold, man. I mean, bring up the, the babies and the livestock and the wealth. They're just going after God. They're questioning, you're not protecting us. You're, we're all thirsty. But how many times do we go through situations and say, why, God? Why? I'm questioning you, your protection, your plan, your goodness. We can do this when we accuse God of trying to harm us or bring us through pain, but he is worthy of our trust. He is worthy of our trust. He doesn't have to answer us why. He promises to protect and provide. We need to learn from this mistake, and we see God did provide in this passage, and God promises that he'll provide for us. The third thing I think that we can learn is not only that they demanded God's provision, they questioned God's protection, but they actually doubted his presence. Did you notice that at the very end? Verse seven, is the Lord among us or not? Is he even with us? I mean, he's not giving us what we want. He's not doing it in the way that we want. So psh, clearly he must, faulty thinking. We can do this when we think God has abandoned us because we're going through a trial because we don't feel his presence. But has he not promised that he'll never leave us nor forsake us? Is our God not faithful? Should we not trust the word of God over our feelings? God will not abandon us. He died so that he can be in, so we could be in his presence. We need to trust the word. But yet instead of trusting God, they were testing God. 
Israel's great problem was that they refused to remember who God was and what he did in their lives. So the psalmist tells us, so come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker, for he's our God. We're the people of his pasture. He's with us. He works. He do. So focus on him in these moments. Don't be like the testing and the quarreling, the places where the fathers didn't trust God. No, no, no. Let us worship God in this mess. And let us know and let us remember that our God works in this mess. Not just even out there, but in here. Verse five through seven, God works in the mess. One of the great themes of Exodus is that God was with his people. This is the overlining theme. He's bringing them out of slavery, redeeming them, doing all this stuff. He bought them. He paid this great price to get his people. And yet the people doubted this truth over and over again because they didn't get their way. And yet in this story, we see God patiently and gently love them and love imperfect people and still provide water for them. Did you notice that? Like, it's the same story. You're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. They still blew it. They still blew it. They still blew it. And God's like, and I still give grace and I still give mercy and I still give love. My love is steadfast to you. There's patience for you. He is slow to anger, he would reveal to the people. They failed the test once again. And yet, he lovingly worked to provide for them. He met with them again. This is Horeb. This is the mountain or the place where Moses, in his weakness, and when he moved and failed and fell short, badly, killing two people, running away in the desert, this is where God met Moses. And now he's meeting a whole people. Like God tends to meet people in their brokenness. Don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of not having it all together. You can have forgiveness. You can have hope. You can have life in his name. And he meets with them and he tells Moses to go out in front of all the people, make this a public thing, grab the leadership, grab the elders and the rod, which was a symbol of God's power. Remember the nose he says, the, the rod which you used to touch the Nile, it turned into blood. And I want you to do something incredible. Strike a rock. Strike the rock. This would be a supernatural way to provide for their greatest need, thirst, water. Now, David Guzik says that this was a remarkable miracle. It was a generous miracle, and it was a meaningful miracle. What we just read was a miracle. Normally, if we have a need, we can't just hit something and it comes out. If so, we'd not be in service right now. We're in the back hitting these rocks and getting our stuff we need, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, this is a miracle, not normal. And it was remarkable because it was not normal, but it displayed God's power. God wanted to display, grab the rod. I want to display that I am powerful to my people. And God will do certain works in your life, in your heart, and even in this church to display his power. But it was also generous because he used his power to love them. He was very generous and kind to display his kindness and mercy and love them. He didn't hit the people. He hit the rock. The people complained. They fell short. They were grumbling and testing against God. God heard it, knew it, and if he's all-powerful and you will go against a powerful God, you ain't going to win. But in his heart, in his nature, it was very generous. He was very loving. And 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 tells us it was very meaningful. Because it says that this rock would point us to a person of Jesus. 
And it's a picture of how we'd receive the living water. And this is sort of where I want to land and where I want to lean into a little bit. Because the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 53 would prophesy that we would have this great need and that God would send a savior or a Messiah to come and to be beaten, smitten, broken for us, to clean up the mess. The prophet Isaiah would say, surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Because oftentimes we think, okay, we're just left alone. God doesn't even care about us anymore. I'm just suffering. No, God is in the mess. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and by or with his wounds we are healed. All like sheep have gone astray. It's that sheep language again. We are the people of his pasture. He cares for us, but yet we still fall short. So he sins, he loves, he's a good and great shepherd. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Can I just remind you that we live in a messy world, and that mess isn't just out there, but it's in us. We are so quick to judge those people when the Bible says we have been born sinners. We fail our test. We are no, no one is perfect. God's standard is so holy, so righteous, and left to ourselves, we will die in our sin. The wrath of God is rightly and justly upon us all because of the mess that we actually produce. This is the state of humanity. This is the state of our hearts, our current reality in life, and we don't like the consequences. We don't like being in it, but there is no one that deserves salvation, and we can't pull ourselves out of this. We all deserve death, but praise God, he works in our mess because it was his loving kindness where he sent bread from heaven, Jesus from heaven, divine glory to pass the test that we couldn't, to bear our shame. You know, John, the gospel of John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He wasn't ashamed of humanity in our sin and just letting it go. No, in his generosity and his loving kindness, he sent his son, known as Emmanuel, God with us, and he bore our sin. The Bible says Jesus was beaten. He was put to death. He was struck, smitten, so that we can have sweet fellowship and living water. The Holy Spirit, fellowship with God. Fellowship with God through Christ. You know, Jesus would say in John chapter 7, as he was teaching how he came from the Father, doing his will, he stood up in the crowd and said, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this, John gives us commentary, he said about the Spirit, whom those whom believe in him were to receive. That's you and I. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not been yet glorified. Jesus gives us true living water as we believe in his finished work through the cross. The provision that God gave and the timing that he gave and the way that he gave. 
And it's so important that we receive the salvation, this living water, by trusting in Jesus and what he did, the full atonement on the cross, that his sin, our sin was placed on him and is paid for fully, the debt that we could never pay. Not because of our good actions, not because we attend a certain church or give a certain amount or raise great kids. This life is messy. And there's a road to that mess that is destruction and we need God, we need a savior. And notice that the water flowed from the rock because the rock was struck. Now what's interesting is the rock being struck was not the only time in scripture this is actually mentioned. Little Bible study, extracurricular activity for you this week. Check out Numbers chapter 20, verses one through 30. It was a similar situation. The people were thirsty again. What do you think they did? Complained again. No shock there, okay? Moses just now just gets heated with it. He's like, his sister just died, Miriam, so he's grieving. He's having a hard time. These people ain't figuring this thing out. They're going and going again. God says, go and like, go get them water, go provide, go speak to the rock. So he just goes in hot mess. He goes out there and he strikes the rock again. Water starts flowing. God's gracious, amazing, provides for his people. There's a problem though. Because in that story, God told Moses not to strike the rock again. He said, speak to the rock. He didn't want the rock struck again, so much so that Moses actually got disciplined by the Lord in Numbers 20 that he would not be able to enter the promised land. Why? Because the rock had already been struck. God wanted Moses to speak to the rock now for water because the rock was only meant to be struck once. Now all the people had to do to receive this water and receive provision is just ask. Listen, Christian, Christ's work on the cross is finished. You don't need to pay that debt. God is not going to beat you. You just need to ask for forgiveness. You need to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he is Lord and you will receive living water. Why would you bear that weight? The work is finished. We don't need to help Christ in appeasing God for our good works our actions. Jesus was struck and God is faithful and pleased by that sacrifice. The Bible exhorts us to put our faith in Jesus alone, that we would receive fellowship with God, forgiveness of our sins, faith with him to be filled with the spirit, or as Jesus put it in Luke chapter 11, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Speak. Out of the abundance of your heart, you speak. We don't try harder, do better, or strike a rock again. We repent, we believe in Christ and his work. This is why another book of the Bible, Hebrews, commentates on the Old Testament. In Hebrews chapter seven, verse 27 The writer would say, he has no need like those, speaking of Christ, high priest, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. And this is what I want you to understand. Since he, Jesus, did this once for all when he offered up himself. It was complete. You remember on the cross, he cried out to Telestai, it is finished. He was struck once and for all. He doesn't have to die again. The debt's been paid. You don't have to pay it. 
And when we come together, we're to be reminded of his finished work of the cross and to celebrate his grace, that he has a loving kindness and is generous and is a miraculous work by his mercy, this good news called the gospel. And remember when we take communion, his blood shed for us, his body broken for us. Hebrews 9.28 would say this, so Christ, so Christ having been offered once bears the sins of many. Many appear uh, and will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. You see, he will renew all things and return with living water. When you put your faith in Jesus, the sins are forgiven and he gives you his spirit, Christ's spirit living, flowing, so that way you can have, be satisfied in this life, empowered by this life. But that spirit will be with us always. We're adopted into the family of God. We're connected. And we're not just waiting for God to work right now, but for all eternity because he gives eternal life. And we've been sealed by the spirit, the Holy Spirit. Because in the book of Revelation, in chapter 22, you may not know this, but in eternity, there's rivers of living water as well that only God can give. See, a lot of us may even want to think about trusting God right now, but what about for all eternity? The angel said, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, John said, and it was bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God, not flowing from your actions or your good behavior or your works, but God was giving this water and it was flowing from the throne of God and the lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river were the tree of life with 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be there on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Living water will flow for all eternity because of what Jesus has done. And he is the one that provides living water to us. So yes, life is a mess, but God works in our mess, amen? And we can receive the living water tonight. We can receive the spirit. We can go to God, and we are gonna remember this as Christians, a group, a community, a people saved by grace. Jesus said, when you come together, remember this. You need me. You need me. You need to depend on me. He is faithful and just to forgive you of, our, of, of your sins. And so go to Christ. Call and ask God to fill you, to forgive you, to trust in the finished work of Christ, and he will give you living water right now, but for all eternity, eternal life. So let's take communion and let's celebrate God and all he's done. God, we thank you so much that we can just have this time to celebrate, to learn, to know, Lord, that you satisfy. And we wanna just come to you once again. Lord, as we continue to study how you redeem, help us to know how we're strengthened, how we grow. It's just by this good news, the power of the gospel. And so, Lord, I pray for those that may be listening online or even this room, if they don't know you, that they would call upon your name to be saved, that they would just invite you, Spirit of God, for your generosity, for your loving kindness, for the, the finished work that you died, Jesus, for our sins and you rose again and you're coming back again. And so we wanna partake and be a community that remembers this work, 
that you are coming back again, that you are alive, and you displayed your love for us on the cross. And so, Lord, we come by faith, and we thank and with thanksgiving, and just praise your name in this moment. Thank you, Lord, for ministering to us. May you continue to do that as we look to you. Amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.